0: How are you out there? You look good. We are in Psalm 91. We're working our way through this verse by verse, and I hope you're enjoying uh, what we're learning here. We are in verse 15 tonight. The last three verses of Psalm 91 uh, contain six I wills. God says, I will do something. There's seven promises from the Lord in there. All in the last three verses. I'm going to read the whole psalm to you and we'll concentrate on 14, 15, 16. Tonight we're just going to cover verse 15. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your dwelling. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you shall not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and cobra, the young lion, the serpent. And you will trample down because he has loved me. Therefore, I will deliver him. Notice these last three verses here. It shifts to God speaking because he has loved me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Verse 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. What a powerful group of promises there in those last three verses. They're worth savoring and going through slowly. And we're going to take our time and just get through a portion of verse 15 tonight. Last week, we started with the fact that in these three verses, there was, you know, the six I wills. When God says he will do something, I want you to rest assured that no matter what it looks like or no matter how much we mess up or how many detours we take, if God says he will do it, it will get done. Amen? God's bigger than our mistakes. He's bigger than our tangents. He's bigger than, you know, the things that we do. Sometimes we think, you know, because I made a mistake or because I took a detour, the enemy loves to whisper to us, you're disqualified, you're done. The promises are not for you anymore. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. If God said He will do something for you, the minute, yeah, we go off and we go astray and maybe we go on a tangent, but the minute we repent and get right with Him, it's on. It's on again, amen. He doesn't, come on, Wednesday night. Come on, Wednesday night. Uh, the devil tells us, you're disqualified, you're done, that's not for you anymore. Wow, what a liar. I will, He says, you know, and these seven promises. That he gives us here. I will deliver him. We covered last week. I will set him on high. Uh, And it's because we loved him and because we know his name. You jump into verse 15. He says he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. The first thing I want to cover here is he shall call upon me. Calling upon the Lord can bring very different results depending on where the person who's doing the calling stands with the Lord. Understand that if you're close to the Lord, you're right with God, you're born again, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you pray, when you cry out to God, you get results, you get action, you get heard. Come on. But listen to me, some people who don't know God and refuse Jesus Christ and claim to be spiritual and they pray and they think that they, you know, just because they utter a prayer or they say something directed towards the almighty that he's obligated to hear everything that they say. And the truth is that as much as we'd like to believe that, um, it's not biblical. And the Bible teaches us you know, that that is absolutely not true. Let's iron out a few misconceptions right out of the box. He shall call upon me. So when we call upon the Lord in relationship, we get heard, we get action. Not everyone who calls upon the Lord gets the same result. Uh, God is under no obligation to hear every call uttered from the mouth of of sinful, self-centered, lost humanity. Say amen. Now, I mean, I know that we, when we were on the outside looking in and maybe we didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there were times where we cried out to God and he definitely heard us. Amen. But he's under no obligation. That's what I want to get. He doesn't have to hear every cry of the heathen. He doesn't have to rescue every sinner who gets in trouble. Now, you don't like this preaching tonight. But it's biblical. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm going to tell you the truth. And if the crowd thins out, well, I, then I don't have to yell as much. So. But the truth is God's under no obligation to hear every word uttered by mankind. God is under no obligation to respond to the calls of the unsaved or the lost or those who don't approach him with faith or with humility or with reverence. You know, there's a way to approach God. There's a way to pray. There's a way to cry out to God. Amen not demanding of him, not in arrogance, not in, you know, you owe me. Sometimes as Christians, you know, we quote scriptures at the Lord like, he has to do what we're telling him to do. And we use it, we try to use the word to leverage him. Oh, it's quiet. It's going to be a long Wednesday night, I guess. God's under no obligation to hear every cry that's uttered by man. And I want to say this, when God does respond to those who are on the outside looking in, who don't reverence him, who don't approach him properly. And he very often does respond to them. It's totally an expression of his amazing grace and his great kindness, amen? That's why God does, but he's not obligated. That's what I want you to get tonight. He's not obligated. We can't come before God and demand because I cried out, now I want action now, God. And many people are like that. We are you know we want everything now. And when God says, wait, usually we get mad and act like he didn't hear us or he didn't answer. or We didn't get what we want. Come on. You say, well, how do you know that? Hmm. Because I'm flesh, too, and, and so are you. And and we ask God for something. It doesn't come when we want it. It doesn't go our way. He tells us to wait. He says no. And, you know, our response sometimes is that, you know, we're, we're upset. We're angry and We feel like we weren't heard. But when God does respond to the cries of man, those who are not in relationship with him, I want you to remember he's not obligated, but he is merciful. Now, here are five things that will cause our calls to go unheard. And there again, we don't like to think about this stuff. And, and, you know, people on the outside looking in don't like to think of this, but God doesn't hear every prayer. And here are five things that will cause our calls to go unheard. Number one, a pattern of stubbornness with God. If you're taking notes, write it down. If we are stubborn with God when he asks us to do something, when he gives us commands, when he gives us instructions, and we just don't listen, that will hinder our prayers and cause us to go unheard. Zechariah 7, 11 through 13. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law of And the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. Old Testament was tough, wasn't it? You know, you all look horrified out there right now. God says, I I told you to do something and you didn't listen. You got yourself in trouble and cried out to me. Now, guess what? I'm not listening. Old Testament was tough. There's a lot more grace in the new. But understand, if we're stubborn with God and we don't listen, if he tells us to do something and we just refuse, that's going to hinder our prayers and that's going to cause us to cry out to him and maybe feel some resistance back. God moves through obedience. The second thing that would cause our calls to go unheard of, wrong motives. James four three. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Boy, doesn't that sound like us? This was written a long time ago. God knows we're still spending everything we got on our pleasures. Amen. You make ten. You get ten dollars. You spend twenty on Amazon. Come on, right? You get you get a birthday gift. You you, you spend it three different ways, and you know it's all it's all like uh, you know. We just heap these things upon ourselves. Why? Because, you know, uh, our flesh likes that and God knows human nature here. And that's why he says you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. I don't know about you, but if you ever try to weigh the motives of your heart, it's really tricky. You know, we have a hard time even discerning our own motives. That's why David said, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes we think we're, we have the right attitude, the right heart, the right motive, and we come to find out that we didn't at all. So we've got to bring our hearts before the Lord. Uh, if we want our cries to be heard, we've got to approach him with the right motives, amen? Number three, if we support sin, that's going to cause us to go unheard. Psalm 66:18. 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Very simply, uh, there are Christians who support sin, Come on, Wednesday, you're going to have to do a little better than that. There are Christians who support gay marriage. There are Christians who support abortion. There are Christians who vote for all kinds of wickedness and say, well, that's the party that's going to put some shekels in my pocket, so I'll vote for that. And let me tell you something. When we posture ourselves like that before God and we make man our source or we support things that, you know, we, we say that this is okay, you know, it's a different time and the Bible didn't mean this, That'll put a resistance between us and God. God's looking for holiness, amen. We wonder why, you know, there's mo- no move of the Spirit in our churches. We wonder why there's no move of the Spirit in our homes. We wonder why. But if we support sin, I don't care how many scriptures you know. I don't know, I care how big your Bible is that you carry. When it boils down to that, God will resist us. And it'll cause the heavens to turn to brass. I don't know about you but I want, I want to be holy before him so he doesn't have to resist me. I want my prayers heard. I want my cries heard, amen? So we better forget about political and get biblical. You know, we've, we better forget about Republican and Democrat and just, you know, it's Bible or nothing, amen? We, our worldview has to be a Christian worldview, well, this is how I feel about Israel. Well, that's nice. That's a wonderful opinion. But this is what the Word says. This is what the Word says we should feel about this, that, and the other thing. Come on, I could cover a 100 topics. Our opinions don't trump the Word of God. We've got to be biblical. We've got to be godly. We've got to support holiness and reject sin. Uh, The the fourth one I want to cover, the fourth thing that will hinder our prayers and cause us to go unheard, not only supporting sin, but practicing sin, the practicing of habitual sin. We know we shouldn't do it, but we do it anyway. And we just say, well, God will forgive me or I'll do it. And then I'll ask for forgiveness. These are dangerous patterns. Uh, Practicing habitual sin, Isaiah 59, two, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Listen to that. That word iniquity means A habitual sin, something you do that you know you shouldn't do, that you do over and over again. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I want to just be real transparent with you tonight. If I'm praying and nothing's happening, if I'm praying and I'm not getting any answers, right away I look at me. I don't blame this or that or the other thing. I look at my heart. Is there sin in my life? Is there something I didn't repent of? Is there something that I'm doing, Lord, that offends you, that I I need to knock it off? Woo, it's getting real on Wednesday night. We're almost done. There's only five of these. Then we'll get back to something happy clappy. Number five, refusing to fear the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is is reverencing him, it's, it's not supporting sin, it's not practicing habitual sin, doing things we know we shouldn't do, it's not having rotten motives and a pattern of stubbornness of rejecting the instruction of the Lord. Refusing to fear the Lord will make the heavens as brass, will cause our cries to go unheard. It says here in John 9:31, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, He hears him. Could that be any more clear? He doesn't hear sinners. But if anyone is God fearing, we need to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord needs to come back into the church. It needs to come back into our homes, into our marriages, into our families, the fear of the Lord, amen, that we, you know, we look so much like the world. Our divorce rate is the same. Our young people are fornicating and shacking up before they get married, and and I can go on and on and on. What is that? That's not the pattern that God has laid out for us. (laughs) We're going to empty the place out on next Wednesday. So in Psalm 91, 15, we see the best case scenario when it comes to us interacting with God. When man interacts with God, this is the best case scenario. We call out to him, he hears us, and he answers us. That's the pattern we're looking for. Those five things I shared with you, they're prickly, they're uncomfortable, but we've got to consider them if we want this to work smoothly, amen. We've we've got to examine ourselves and be transparent enough to say, oh, me, Lord, and repent to get those things out of the way. So when we call on him, he hears us. And when we call on him, after he hears us, he answers us. There's nothing better than getting an answer from heaven. There's nothing better than getting your prayers answered, even if it's no or even if it's not what you wanted. At least you got an answer. And, you know, we, we can deal with it. What what should be impossible for us to deal with is that, you know, when we when we pray and there's nothing. How many times have you prayed and you felt like it just fell to the floor? or, 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 or there, was no, you know, there was no connection, there was no communion, there was no witness of the Holy Spirit, and then there was no answer to the prayer. Come on, if we're being honest, all of us have felt like that at times in life. That's when we go back to those five things I just listed off and we examine our hearts to make sure, you know, sometimes God is silent, sometimes God, you know, waits and lets us linger, sometimes God is quiet so that we'll pursue him with some more tenacity, Amen. You know, and that's it. That's something that as we get mature, we got to become comfortable with. God wants us to push the envelope. He wants us to seek him with our whole hearts. Amen. Not just, you know, send him a text and and want it right. Bing. Oh, there it is. There's the answer. Sometimes we got to push harder than that. Amen. So the way it's supposed to work is we call out to him. He hears us and he answers us. Now, I want to say something about human nature. Every human being needs to be heard. If you're in a relationship where you feel like you're not heard, there's going to be problems in that relationship. If you're in a marital relationship and both parties don't have freedom of expression and you, you can't say what you want to your spouse and they actually listen to what you say and even respond, do you, do you realize that two-way communication, that two-way connection, that mutual respect is what makes relationships, particularly marriages, work? Every person needs to be heard. If a person isn't heard in a relationship, that relationship will be strained, and eventually it'll become volatile. Come on, all you married people, don't try and look so innocent out there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We've got to hear each other. We've got to give each other the right of expression. Now, what an honor it is to be heard by Almighty God. What an honor it is for him to hear our prayers because he looks at us and he doesn't see sinful Rick, but he sees Jesus. He sees me covered in the blood as one of his children. And when I cry out to him, when I call out to him, when I express my heart to him, he hears me and he answers me. What a privilege that is. Amen. You know, and, and it says, you know, the, the text is saying, you know, he'll cry out to me. What? And I will answer him. What a blessing that is that God promises that he will answer us. I he will call out to me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. When we cry out to God and we're right with God and we belong to him and we're covered in the blood of Jesus and God sees us as righteous, when we cry out to him. He answers us. One of the worst things a person can do to another person is to face them, listen to them speak, hear what they have to say and say nothing in return. Have you ever expressed yourself to somebody, you poured out your heart, you shared your feelings, maybe you were transparent with them, and they just looked at you and said nothing? Ouch. You say, what's that all? That's some serious passive aggression right there. It shows, it shows this, it shows indifference. When someone opens up to you and there's no response at all, maybe just blinking, That's I mean, well, they didn't say anything. They didn't yell. They, didn't, they weren't mean. They didn't say anything mean. Saying nothing is worse than all of that. Indifference is worse than that. Amen. Uh, you know, and indifference is the thing that, you know, when you open up to someone and they, they're saying to me, you don't matter enough to me for a response. Now, God never treats his children that way. God answers us. Now, he, we're, when we cry out to him, he hears our cries. When we pray, he hears our prayers. I know we, we examine our hearts and all that stuff, too, but we're his children. You know, even if your children are bad, if they don't listen, if they do exactly what you didn't tell them to do, you don't cut them off and ignore them and just, you know, look at them as if they're not there. A parent, any parent, you know, with half a heart can't do that for, to their children for long. You know, you're, you're blazing mad at them, but you just, you still love them so much. Imagine if we feel like that, how much God feels love towards us. And even in, you know, our foolishness and our stupidity and the things we do, God still hears us. He hears our prayers. He, he answers us. Uh, he's not indifferent towards us. He's not, you know, just going to cut us off and leave us, uh, you know, without any connection to him anymore. Now, I want to say something. If God doesn't answer us, If he stops speaking to us, if we can't feel his presence anymore, we'd better find out why immediately. See, Samson kept pushing the envelope, kept being stubborn with God, kept dipping his toes in sin to the point where the scripture says that the Holy Spirit left him and he didn't know it. Do you remember that? And he was still playing the game with Delilah. And, you know, he was playing that game where, you know, all the Philistines are going to run in and I'm going to, you know, break loose and I'm going to give them all a whipping. But he didn't realize that the spirit had departed from him. And this time when the Philistines came in, they gouged his eyes out. They chained him up and they led him away like an animal. Why was that? Because he didn't, discern that the spirit had left him if we can discern that there is interference between us and god that that we're not getting a reply that you know something is broken down in the communication we need to find out immediately what it is and quickly repent and throw ourselves on the grace of god you know the longer we go without rectifying the situation the worse it gets and the more desensitized we get to the fact that the spirit has departed as with samson we don't want it to cost us what it costs Samson. And thank God we're in a new covenant, a grace covenant. But if God doesn't answer us, we need to find out why. Now, many times we'll dig in and it's that he wants us to wait. Many times we'll have to dig in and he'll comfort us and we, we have to press in a little bit. We have to have a little patience. That's, that's all well and good. But if there's an issue, we need to discover it as quickly as possible. So King David in Psalm 51, 10 through 12, he follows this advice that, you know, we're getting here that we should go to God immediately. Uh, David had sinned with Bathsheba. He had killed Uriah. He's pouring his, ha- his heart out before the Lord uh, about his sin. And, and this is what he says in Psalm 51, 10. He says, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit in me. David's response there is exactly the heart that we should have uh, when we feel disconnected from God. It's to be transparent. It's to be honest. Notice what David's greatest concern was. It wasn't that, hey, I'm going to lose my good name here. If this is uncovered, they're going to know what I've done. And, you know, I'm going to lose my good name in the kingdom. Uh, It's going to be hard to rule after this. Uh, people are not going to trust me anymore. No, he wasn't concerned with that. He didn't say, I'm going to lose the throne. I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose wealth. No, he was most concerned about losing access to the presence of God and to the Holy Spirit. He didn't want to lose his connection to God because it was the most important thing to him. He didn't want to lose access to the Holy Spirit because it was the only thing that would be strength for his soul in a dark time like this. You and I need to reverence the presence of God and protect the presence of God and, and be unwilling to do anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Because if we chase the Holy Spirit away from us, if we, if we grieve the presence of God to the point where now heaven is silent, we're dead already. We need God. He's heir for our souls, Amen. He will call upon me and I will answer him. David says, create me a clean heart. What is he saying? Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. These are the priorities that we should have. We wouldn't be willing to do or say anything or be with anyone that would grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives, cause God to shrink back from us. So what happens when God hears us and answers us? You pray a prayer, the Lord hears your prayer, and he speaks to your heart. He speaks to you through the word. He just confirms some things around you. So you know you prayed a prayer, and he answered you. What happens to us when that happens? Number one, we feel validated, and that's a good thing. We need that. We need to be validated as sons and daughters that we know that our God hears us when we cry out to him, amen? And when we when our prayers are answered and we are in connection with him and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, you know, there's times in our lives where we're so in step with God, where we're so right with him, where we're so flowing in the spirit that it seems like everything that we put out there is getting answered and confirmed and there's blessings. Come on, have you been there when you felt like that? Amen. I know it's not all the time. Some people are saying that it only happens alternate Tuesdays in November. But, you know, we need to work towards, you know, it, it's not all the time, but we need to work towards making it most of the time. Amen. So we feel validated when God treats us as a son or a daughter or, you know, even when he corrects us or chastens us or prunes us, at least we know that we're his. Amen. You know, the chastening of the Lord, the pruning of the Lord is not fun. I produce fruit. God, what do you think? He says, snip. You know, there we are. Spiritually, we give him the big bottom lip. Why? He says, because I want to produce more with you. But I like this little bit here. He goes, oh, you, you haven't seen anything yet. So he prunes and he chastens and, and all of those things. But at least we know that we're his and it validates us. When we know we belong to the Lord, when we know the Lord hears us, when we know that the Lord hears our cries, I'm, I'm telling you what, there's no devil in hell or person on earth that can, that can push us back down and tell us that we're not connected. Amen. Amen. Number two, what's the second thing that happens when God hears us and answers us? We can let go of our fear and anxiety. You see, once we know that we are having communication with the Lord, we don't have to be anxious anymore. It's when we are struggling and we don't know what's going on and we don't have the answers. Come on, some of these things we've been through in, with the COVID stuff and all, you know, all of what's been going on, you know, there have been times where you know, all of us have had to say, I, I don't know what to think about any of this. There's so much disinformation and misinformation and one prophet says this and another prophet says that and, 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 all, and everything's swirling around. I'm like, well, God, what are you saying? And if we're being honest, you know, that, that condition creates a lot of fear in us because when we don't know what's going on and we're not hearing anything definitive from God and even the voices in the church are contradicting each other. Come on, what a confusing time. But once we hear from the Lord and we're heard, that that fear is not there anymore. That anxiety has to go. Any answer from heaven is better than no answer at all. Amen. When God is not speaking to us, there's anxiety and fear can grip our hearts. But when he is speaking to us, fear has got to go and anxiety has got to go. See how important it is that we stay right with him, that we cry out to him and and we know that he answers us because it deals with the fact that we, we are validated as his sons and daughters. It deals with the fact that, you know, we can let fear and anxiety go. And number three, the third thing that happens when we know that God hears us is this, we can receive wisdom and instruction that we need from God. Hey, the communication's open now. God, tell me what to do. God, I'm hearing you, you're hearing me, you heard my cry. Give me the answer to the question of my heart. So many Christians walk around in a fog, never, you know, praying through things or just kind of, you know, not pressing in. And God has stuff to say to all of us. God has answers for you out there tonight. He wants to speak to you. He wants to settle some issues in your heart. He wants to settle some issues in your mind. But, you know, what? it's not the casual pursuit that allows that to happen. We've got to get desperate enough to cry out to him. Amen. I think sometimes God's just waiting for us. He's like, man, I'm, I'm really impressed. Rick can take a lot of punishment. Look at this here. Wow, he's really, this is a new level of stubborn. I've never seen this before. He calls the angels over. They look on the big screen. Look at this guy. He's waiting for us to wear ourselves out until we cry out. No, no, God, I still, I got it, I got it. Hold on, God, wait, God, I'll, I'll figure it out. No, I got it this time, this time I got it. You know, how many times have you said, oh, I got it figured out now, only, only to declare victory too soon? Don't you hate when that happens? This time I got it, I got it figured out. I got it, Lord, and, and you blow it again. And another lap around the mountain. Here I come again. Here he comes, and all the angels are laughing. Here he comes again. Huh. Help us, Lord. That strong-willed, stubborn flesh that we got to deal with, amen? But you know what? Once the channel's open and there's humility and we approach the right way, we receive the wisdom and instruction of heaven. When God speaks to us and he instructs us, it's a good thing because not knowing what to do is paralyzing. But once God speaks, we can wrap our arms around that and run with it, amen? Amen. So we need to hear him and we need to cry out to him. We need to get desperate enough. Sometimes he's just waiting for us to break and come to the end of ourselves and say, God, I need you. Would you speak to me to cry out? Well, the second I will of verse 15 is the fourth of the six promises. And he says, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him. And then he says, I will be with him in trouble. How's that for a good promise? Anybody ever get in trouble? Let me raise both hands. Amen. Me and Edgar. Just me and Edgar. Right? Trouble. Amen. The only time we're not, you know, uh, it seems like there's very few periods in life where we're not dealing with trouble. Either trouble we caused or trouble we didn't cause or trouble that came out of nowhere. Come on. Right? Right? You know, I used to think when I was young, once I get this settled here, there'll be no more trouble. Now I'm just like, as I'm fixing this trouble, I'm looking for the trouble that's coming. Because, isn't it true? In this, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And we don't, we read over that fast and we go to another verse because we don't want to hear that. You know, we just want peace. We just want, you know, a break. We want to say La. We want to, you know, we want to just get a vacation from it. But you know what? It seems like the times we're living in now, things are accelerated. And the enemy's more desperate than he ever has been before because the time is short. So the people of God are dealing with trouble after trouble after trouble. Now, I'm not saying that it's all dark and dismal and there's no joy. We've got to have the joy of the Lord even in the storm. Amen. But I'm just saying that, you know, there's a lot of trouble going around. And God says, I will be with him in trouble. Now, it's been said before and it still holds true. You don't find out who your real friends are until you find yourself in trouble. When you're in trouble, that's when you find out who your fair weather friends are, because you know, you know how you find out because you look around and they're not there. Where are they? And they don't answer your calls and they don't send you a a text and they don't they don't comment on your Facebook post. Help. Come on, your, your real friends are those who are there, you know, when you're in trouble, but the ones who are your fair weather friends, they, they disappear. Listen to what Proverbs 25, 19 says about this. I love this proverb. It says, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a treacherous person in time of trouble. Let me read that again. I don't think you enjoyed it enough the first time. <laughs> like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a treacherous person in time of trouble. A rotten tooth. Ow! A lame foot, you know, the rubber leg, you know, you're going down the stairs and it gives out on you when you really need it. That's how a person is that, you know, they're a fair weather friend. They're there when everything's good. And, you know, the minute I've had people in my life that I've listened to in counseling for hours upon hours. And, you know, then one time I shared something that I was going through and they disappeared faster than a puff of smoke. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Hey, I had a really hard day today, and I'm, and I'm still talking, and they're gone. Or, or like, are you there? Are you there? No, they're not there. Because, they, they, you know, they had no intention of ever reciprocating anything. And we've all had friends like that. Friends in high school that, man, you had money, you had this or you had that, you know, they were there. The minute it was gone, they were gone. If you were doing something to help them, oh, you were best buddies, but when you needed help, your car's on the side of the road, nothing. Bad tooth, bum leg. Your real friends are going to show who they are when you get yourself in trouble. Now some people are always there when we're in trouble, because they're the ones who get us into trouble. <laughs> this takes discernment. You know, it's like, oh man, you were always there when I, this happened. That, that. Yeah, you were there because you know you got me into this mess. You you brought us to this place, or you you know, <laughs> it all came unglued, and you ran, and the cops. Yeah, and. Well, I don't want to get too dicey here, but you know what I'm talking about. We've got to discern the people in our lives that not, they're not, you know, it's not that they're fair-weather friends and they disappear when we need help. It's they're a bad influence on us. Bad company corrupts good morals, bad influence, you know, and, and and they might be fun and they might, you know, be someone who's been in our life for a long time. But somehow, some way, we either have to change that relationship around or we need enough wisdom not to get drug into the trouble and into the drama or we need to separate ourselves from them. So We're talking about here, I will be with him in trouble. So we find out who our friends are in trouble. We find out who the people are are that get us into trouble and we make the adjustments there. But God promises here to those who love him. He promises to be with them when they find themselves in trouble. You know, an important takeaway from this promise. Unfortunately, this verse doesn't say if we love God, he'll exempt us from trouble. Man, God, why do we have to have trouble? Why do there have to be drama? Why does there have to be conflict? And why trouble? Well, you know, it's what perfects us. It's what draws us closer to God. It's what makes us pray more. It's what makes us push in. It's what teaches us to do spiritual warfare. None of those things I just mentioned happen when everything's going good. When everything's going good, you know, we don't pray. We don't, we don't dig in. We don't cry out to God. We go on vacation. We sit on the beach. We tan ourselves. But when there's trouble, some good things happen in us, and it develops maturity, and it develops tenacity, and it develops spiritual gifts and discernment in us. Someone say Amen. So the trouble's there, but the verse doesn't say, if you love me, you're exempt from trouble. Now, the devil loves to trick us into thinking that that's the case. God, if I serve you, if I do all the right things, if I avoid sin, if I repent, you know, if I I just get right with you, then everything's going to be great, right? And the enemy loves to make us think that, that if we love God and do his will and keep our hearts right and stay away from sin... And that we're gonna live easy, trouble-free, blessed, prosperous, perfect lives. And since that never happens, that faulty expectation that he sows into our hearts, it comes in, and now you know that, that expectation that it's gonna, if I do this, it's gonna be this, and it's not. Now we're disillusioned, now we're upset, now we're mad at God. You see, this is why we have to understand. What God promises us just the very fact that says I will be with him in trouble means that we're going to be in trouble. Sorry, Wednesday night. That's just the way it goes. Now we're gonna have joy there, we're gonna have strength there, we're gonna have peace in the storm there. I'm not painting a dark picture, but I'm just I'm saying what the text says. We gotta be in trouble to experience him with us in trouble. The enemy wants to think if we do all the right things, there'll be no trouble, so he can make us upset at God when the trouble comes. Jesus warned us about the snare of believing that lie in Matthew 13, 20 through 21, with the parable of the seed and the sower. It says the one who sowed seed in the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Did you hear that? Well, God, you know, I'm so excited and Jesus and everything's great and the church is wonderful. And all of a sudden persecution comes resistance comes trouble comes and what there's no root there's no depth and they get offended and they get mad at God and they walk away from their faith how many times have we seen this in the lives of people Uh, you know they come to church they get excited they get on fire and the enemy resists them a little bit I didn't sign up for this and they're gone and you never see them again they're empty seats even their butt prints are gone at this point they haven't (laughs) been here in so long there it's gone Why is that? Because they believed a lie. They had a faulty expectancy that, you know, if I do all this, I'm going to have, you know, it's going to be, and it's not true, you know, and I'm sorry I have to preach this, but we've got to get this because I don't want any of you to fall away. I don't want you to have a false expectancy. Amen. I want you to know the closer you get to him, the more you do his will, the more you reverence him, the more you love his word, the more the enemy's going to come at you, the hotter it's going to get. That's the truth. But don't be afraid, because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Don't be afraid. Don't shrink back, amen? In fact, if you shrink back, the devil wins. But if you press forward, if you resist him, he has to flee from you. Amen. So Jesus warned us to have deep roots and to have commitment and have conviction and to know that trouble will come. But he's saying here, I will be with him in trouble. When trouble comes, and it always does, trust Jesus and praise your way to victory, amen? The wor- when trouble comes, the words of our mouth and the decisions that we make and the, and the spiritual stances that we take are so important. It's so important. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just saying, you know, it's it's not just saying something because it's the the religious thing to say. No, when the enemy attacks, we've got to raise up a standard and it's the words of our mouth that initiate that. It's the actions that we take. Do we cower? Do we shrink back when the enemy comes? Do we blame it on God? Do we get angry at heaven? That's immaturity. God wants to make us mature so that, you know, when the trouble comes, that we praise our way to victory instead of complaining ourselves into a deeper hole. Mm. The book that we were looking at here, Psalm 91, the military edition, that's kind of going along with this sermon series here, talks about a, a British submarine that found itself in great peril in World War II, and I want to read you the story. I want you to take note of the leadership that was on that sub and the actions they took in the face of impending doom. British newspapers told of a British submarine in World War II that lay helplessly on the ocean floor and needed to be rescued. After two days, hope of raising her to the surface was abandoned. The crew on orders of the commanding officer, took this response to the fact that they were told they could not be rescued. He said, he called all the men into one place and said, we're going to sing a hymn. Abide in me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless Oh, abide with me. And these men on that submarine laying on the bottom of the ocean floor began to sing that hymn together. The officer explained to the men that they could not be saved and that they didn't have long to live and there was no hope of outside surface rescue and the searchers and the vessels had given up. They were given sedatives distributed to each man to quiet their nerves as the oxygen began to ran out. However, one sailor, when he took his sedative, was so affected, he, he fell and fainted, and he fell and hit a piece of equipment that set in motion the submarine's jammed surfacing mechanism. <laughs> Crying out to God delivered these men. As the mechanism began to work, they surfaced and were able to limp back into port. Singing a simple hymn in response to a bad report saved these men from death on the ocean's floor. Now listen to me, what leadership that was that said, you know what? Well, we got bad news and there's no hope, but we're going to praise God. We got bad news and and nobody can help us and they've given up on the surface, but we're going to sing to the Lord. You know, that's the kind of leadership we need in conflict and in trouble. You know, not, oh, you know, it's terrible. I'm going to go to the captain's quarters and sulk and, you know, I'm just going to disappear. No, I want you to see the type of leadership that was there. I guarantee you if they would have complained, if they would have screamed and moaned, if they would have blamed each other, no miracle would have took place. But when we choose to to worship God in the darkness. When Paul and Silas were in the prison in the midnight hour and they began to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, what happened? The, the earth shook and the doors opened and the chains fell away. We have to have the right response when trouble comes. Don't get mad at God. Don't blame him. It's not him. It's amazing how we blame God for stuff that the devil does. sing and pray and praise and have the joy of the lord and resist the enemy and he'll flee and god does miracles and god hears prayers and god rescues those of us who are in trouble because of that response amen so we've just covered a little bit tonight just part of verse 15 and god willing when we get together next time we'll finish we'll finish up here what's left it says uh He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. That's where we got to this week. I will rescue him and honor him. Does that sound good to anybody? Two more I wills. Listen to this. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Father, we just thank you for all of these promises here. We thank you. That Father, when we get desperate enough to cry out to you and examine our hearts before you and make sure we're right with you, that you hear us and you respond to us and that you're with us in trouble. So, Father, help us to get our hearts right. Help us to be desperate enough to cry out to you. And help us, Lord, when the trouble comes, to be mature, to not blame you, to not blame others, but to just sing and praise and thank God and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Father, teach us to be mature saints. Thank you for all these promises in the last three verses here. Father, I pray that each of us would have them tucked into our hearts, that we would remember them in the day of conflict. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.